Well, I just want to thank the worship team for that. Let's thank them. Thanks for leading us in worship, guys. Thank you so much. I don't know about you. I was singing those songs about Jesus. I was thinking all that he'd done, all that he is. I was thinking, that's my king. You know, that's my king. <laughs> well, good morning, family. If you got your Bibles, hey, good. Talking back, I love that. Love that. Kind of feisty today. That's good. So grab your Bibles. It's on your phone or in, your, in the chair in front of you, whatever you got. Let's open them up. Psalm 20. If you're a guest today, we're in a uh, summer series in the Psalms. Say that five times real fast. Uh, summer series in the Psalms called Soundtrack. There's one more S, all right? And uh, we are studying the Psalms so that they might shape our hearts uh, to love God and they might guide our emotions uh, towards God. So we're in Psalm 20 this morning. And I'm going to read the uh, entire Psalm and then we'll pray. Psalm 20, a Psalm of David to the choir master. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard your, with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you uh, in your word now. We pray, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, as I was coming in this morning, I was praying, I was just thinking of that song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through your word today, would you help us turn our eyes upon Jesus and all the things that we brought in here with us, let it melt away. We need to see you, Jesus. We need to hear from you today, Lord. And I pray that your power would come and do that very thing in Jesus' name. Amen. So the British national anthem is God Save the King. Uh, or depending on the current ruler, God Save the Queen. Right? Uh, do you guys know when that first appeared? 1745. It appeared in a magazine called The Gentleman's Magazine in 1745. Any of you trivia buffs out there, do you know how the first line of that goes? Anybody? You can say no. You can talk back a little bit. It's all right. No. I'm American. I don't know that, right? Okay. 
Anyway, so I'll give it to you, all right? It's interesting because it goes along with what we're talking about. God save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. God save the queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God save the queen. He's even got music to it there. Okay, now check this out. Thy choicest gift in store, on her be pleased to pour. Long may she reign, may she defend our laws and ever give us cause to sing with heart and voice, God save the queen. No one's exactly sure when this song was written, but uh, many people believe that the phrase, God save the king, uh, comes from scripture in 1 King chapter 1. Did you know that? found that pretty interesting this week. People today still sing this song over their ruler, whether it's the king or the queen. They may say that they're singing an anthem, but really what they're doing is they're saying a prayer. They're praying a prayer, and it's a prayer of blessing over whoever is ruling. They're praying that the king or the queen should have a long life, because when the king or the queen has a long life, the country stays stable. There is an anarchy. There is peace. The laws are enacted, and so uh, everything goes well for the people. So they're basically praying when they sing this anthem or sing this song that God would bless the king or queen. They would live a long time. There wouldn't be a lot of turnover. In our text today, we're reading a psalm that is an ancient version of God save the king. It's an enthronement psalm. And it's actually connected, if you read, with Psalm 21. Those, thing, those two psalms should be read together. They inform one another. And so uh, just before battle, the people of Israel would be singing this psalm over their king, a blessing, basically, over their king as he goes out to fight the battle. Um, you see, in battle, anything can happen. Right? doesn't matter what you planned in the war room. When you get on the battlefield, it's a different situation. Unless you have overwhelming odds, overwhelming numbers, anything can happen on any, in any given battle on any given day when you go into war. It's, a, it's uncertain. The outcome is not sure. The outcome is not in the bag. Strange things happen in battle. And there's smoke everywhere when it's dark. Strange things happen when people start dropping all around you. People get afraid that we're once fearless. Strange things happen. To march into battle is to march into uncertainty. That's what I'm saying. Listen to this. H.P. Lovecraft, who was an early American story writer, and he, he, he wrote this. I, I thought this was really brilliant. The oldest and strangest emotion of mankind is fear. Our strongest and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. That gets everybody, doesn't it? I don't know what's going to happen. It's a coin toss. It could go this way or it could go that way. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. When we head into battle where the outcome is uncertain, and I'm not just talking about a literal battlefield, any kind of battle that we face in life, the question quickly becomes where can we place our trust? Where can we place our hope? The psalmist tells us today that when life feels uncertain, we can trust the king that the Lord has given to us. We can trust the king that the Lord has given to us. 
In this prayer for the king, the psalmist gives us at least three reasons why we should trust the king that the Lord has provided for us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning with you. The first reason is this. The Lord is completely pleased with our king. The Lord is completely pleased with our king. Let's go down here and it says, May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. So the people of God are blessing their king as he rides out into battle to fight. And they're asking for God's favor and blessing over him, basically, over their king. In other words, they're praying that the Lord will find their king acceptable and pleasing in his sight. Why? Because it'll go well for him. If it goes well for them, it goes well for them. And here's another reason. God wasn't always pleased with every king of Israel. Well, they knew that. Just because you're the king doesn't mean God's automatically pleased with you and every decision you make and everything you do. And they know that. When the favor of the Lord departed from a king, it did not matter how much power he had or wealth or wisdom. It didn't matter. The king was going down in battle. He was going to go down in battle. The most notable example of this is Saul. We know this, right? Saul was anointed by God as king. He continued to disobey God. And God took his favor away from him, took his blessing off of him, basically. We see this in uh, 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, he's talking to King Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Second Samuel seven fifteen. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. He's talking to David. Human kings don't completely please God. Saul didn't. David didn't. Solomon after him didn't. And so it went down the line. Though this psalm is initially about King David, it cannot be only about David, or it starts to not make sense if you think about it. You see, even after David wasn't the king of Israel anymore, even in a time of Israel's history where there wasn't a king on the throne because they had been taken captive in battle, they had been made slaves and been sent into exile, to serve other nations, in that time when God hadn't saved the king, they still sang this psalm. They, they kept it in the Psalter. Why is that? Makes you wonder. I believe in those times of uncertainty, this psalm was sung as a psalm of faith. They were singing it in faith that this would not always be this way. It was a reminder to them that God would send a king that fully and completely pleased the Lord. And everything he thought, and everything that he did, he would be pleasing to the Lord. Every sacrifice he offered, every deed that he committed. And you know what? We have that king in Jesus. We have that king in Jesus. Look at Matthew 3, 16 through 17. It says this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold... The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said this, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that beautiful? At Jesus' baptism, his father shows up. (laughs) Isn't that neat to think about? God the Father shows up for Jesus' baptism. God is so pleased with King Jesus that he cannot contain himself. He's got to talk about it. He wants everybody that is assembled there to know, I'm pleased with my son. I love him, right? He declares it audibly for everyone that's there so that they will know in no uncertain terms that God is fully, completely, totally pleased with Jesus Christ. There's nothing that Jesus does that disappoints his father. He has God's favor completely. He has God's approval completely. He has his love and his acceptance completely, thoroughly, top to bottom. And here's the good news for us, because you're probably wondering, that's great to know, but so what? Here's so what. Our king has passed on God's pleasure to us. He's passed on God's pleasure to us. To all who believe in him. Look at John 17. We'll do verses 22 and 26. Jesus is praying. Right? He's praying for his disciples, actually. He says to the Father, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the, love with, that the love which you have loved me may be in, what's the word? Them. And I in them. God has given his glory to Jesus, and Jesus has given that glory to his followers. And what is that glory? At least what's part of that glory? That God completely loves and accepts him. He gives that to you and I who believe in Jesus. This is why we must place our trust in Christ during those times of battle that we face, those battles of faith. This is where we put our trust, in Jesus. Through faith in Christ, we hold to the truth that God loves us as his own son completely, perfectly, thoroughly. Um. I was at a wedding reception, and I was listening to a dad give a toast to the groom. His son was the groom. So the dad gets up, and he gives this toast to his son in front of everybody that's assembled there. Aunts and uncles and cousins and people from work and people that were pretty well respected. They're all in the room here. And the dad stands up, and he gives this, this toast, basically. And it, uh, frankly, it really st- stuck with me. It struck me in the moment. And I thought about it a lot after that, actually. It was so powerful. He said this. He looks at his son. I just want you to picture this. He's looking at his son. He's getting ready to marry this woman that's next to him. And he says, son, today you become a man. I love you. I am so proud of you. You have done well with your life. And this is the part that got me. I want to read it to make sure I get it word for word. He said, next to my dad, there is no other man that I admire more than you, son. Wow. 
And I was just like, that just, that just hit me. That was just amazing to me. It hit me. It wasn't even my dad, and it hit me. I mean, I got like the splash off of that hitting him to me, you know? It was amazing. And I, and I thought about it all the way home, and I thought for days after that, I was like, why, did, why was that so amazing? Why were those words, why were those words so powerful? And why do they strike me as powerful? They weren't even aimed at me. And I realized why. Because it wasn't so much the words. It was the source. Those words came from a father. That's why they were powerful. Family, in Christ, God is speaking over you and I. I love you. I'm proud of you. And Amias, you have done well with your life. And you, I'm well pleased. I want you to hear that today. This is what we trust when we are in a battle of faith. Amen? Some of us struggle with believing that God approves of us. That may be some of you here today. So you know what some of us do? We burn a lot of energy in being really moral and good. Because if I'm really good, then God will have to love me. I'll make him love me. Right? We do really good deeds. Right? We spend a lot of time. We help the homeless. We attend church. We are part of seven Bible studies every single week. God will love me. I'm going to burn all this energy, making sure I'm, I'm making my list of what a good person is, and I'm checking it twice. Right? But you know what? That leads to anxiety, doesn't it? Why? Because the outcome is still uncertain. How can you be sure? That God loves you. You can't. You can't know when you get to enough. When do you get to enough? I don't know. Where is that marker? It's elusive. It's, it's very fluid. It moves, right? Depending on the day. And so we do not know. So when the battle comes, we must fight back with the gospel of grace. The gospel is our only weapon, guys. It is the center of the universe for us. It is the center We say this, Christ is my king. God is completely pleased with him. And all the approval that God gives Jesus, Jesus has given to me. So I don't have to do a thing to earn it. I don't have to do a thing to earn it. And that's why they call it grace. And grace is good. Amen? Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Grace is good. We say this, I cannot volunteer enough to make myself acceptable to God. I cannot clean up my dirty mouth or clean up my dirty habits or clean up my dirty past enough to make myself acceptable to God. God, through Jesus Christ, has cleansed me from every sin I committed this week. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me. I don't have to scrub my soul with guilt. I don't have to scrub my soul with moral good deeds. And duty, because Jesus has scrubbed me clean with his blood. And if that's good enough for the Father, that should be good enough for me. Amen? But maybe you don't struggle with having God accept you. Maybe you struggle with needing other people's approval of you. Like your coworkers, or your friends at school, or your parents, or your children. Uh-oh. I really need them to approve of me. I struggle with that because God's invisible, right? But they're right here. They're flesh and blood, right? They're talking to me. It's a powerful thing, is it not? 
It's a struggle for you to be yourself. It's a struggle for you to speak your mind, what you really think. It's a struggle for you to be who you really are and like what you really like, right? Because you are wondering in the back of your mind if they are going to disapprove of you. They're going to give you a disapproving look or a disapproving comment. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a major battleground for me, all right? This may be a playground for some of you. This is a battleground for me. I just want to be honest with you about that. I don't like, it's not so much that I need people to approve of me. Hey, you, I, I like what you like. You're doing good. I believe in what you believe for. I, I value what you value. It's not so much that I need that, but I hate disapproval. It kills me. And it's not good. It's a sin. It's wrong. But I just share that with you so that if you struggle with that too, you can know that you're not alone in that. You don't need to live in shame and you don't need to hide that. You can bring that into the light of the gospel and be healed from that. Amen? That is why we're talking about this stuff. This is what the church should be about. You can be freed from that as you bring it into the light of the gospel. So when this battle comes, we need to fight it with the gospel of Jesus the same as we do the other way, right? They disapprove of me, God. They just told me for half an hour. (laughs) They're disappointed in me. They disapprove of me, Father. But you completely approve of me because of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to hold on to that in faith. I'm going to trust the king that you have supplied for me. You are my perfect heavenly father, and God, I'm just praying that you cause your words to have more weight than their words. Make your words have the weight that they really do, and their words just be kind of like light stuff that gets blown away. Lord, would you do that? These are the kind of prayers we pray. We can trust our king because the Lord gives our king everything that he asks. Think about this. The Lord gives everything that he asks for. Look at verses uh, 4 and 5. Psalm 24 and 5. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Listen how sweeping this blessing is of their king, by the way. May he fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. That means whatever you ask for. So the people are saying to their king, just think about uh, saying this to our government. (laughs) May the Lord, not just like another nation, but may the Lord, who has all power, give you whatever you ask for. I mean, this is some trust, right? May the people say, they, they say this to their king, that they want God to give their king victory, because when the king has victory, it means salvation for them, right? They're declaring that God works salvation through his anointed one, his king. And so I want you to notice something here. That, uh, it, it, that this is something that points us past David to Christ. Whoever this king is that they're talking about here, that they are praying for and that they are blessing, uh, they, they've got to be completely pure-hearted. I mean, this guy cannot be corrupted, apparently. <laughs> they trust him utterly. They trust him thoroughly and completely. They're just casting everything of them on this leader, this king, because um, they're asking God to give him whatever he asks for. As pure-hearted of a king as David was, was he incorruptible? No. No. 
Not by a long shot. A man after God's own heart, to be sure. But not incorruptible. Were his desires always for the will of God? No. No, they weren't. He desired Bathsheba. And so he grabbed her. Right? And then he killed her husband. I want that. I'm going to take that. Not completely pure-hearted. This psalm reflects not only our need, but our inner desire. We want a king that is so pure-hearted we can trust them. We want God to give this king whatever he asks for because we know it'll be good. And we have that king in Christ Jesus. Look at John 3.35. Jesus says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Did you notice that connection? God completely approves of him. So he gives me whatever I ask. God trusts me. God completely trusts me. God gives Jesus whatever he asks for. So what has Jesus asked for in, in these battles that we face, right? He's asked for a lot of things, but here's one thing that Christ has asked for. Christ has asked that our faith in him would not fail in the battle. He's asked that we would persevere to the end. Just think about that for about half a second. Jesus Christ has asked the Father that our faith would not fail, but we'd persevere to the end. Some of you guys look at me like you don't believe me. So let me show you, all right? Making me work hard today. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. all right? This is good news, guys. In the upper room, Last Supper, about to be betrayed, right? I'm not sure. Maybe Judas has already gone out the room at this point to betray him. Everything's getting dark. The cross is looming. He turns aside to Peter. Listen to this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays for his followers, family. Jesus prays. Wow, you should just let that blow your mind for a minute. That is amazing love. That is amazing grace that we just sang about, right? Jesus prays for us. And guess what? Jesus gets what he asks for. He's praying that your faith and my faith would not fail during the battle to believe, during the battle to have faith. He's praying that we would trust him all the way through the battle to the other side. That's what he's praying. Did it work for Peter, by the way? Better believe it. Yeah, I did. He denied him three times. What happened? Jesus strengthened him. He lived to write a couple of letters, actually, about it. You don't write letters about how great Jesus is if you just quit believing in Jesus, do you? Yeah. You got evidence for this. Question, do you think knowing this might help you during your battle of faith? Absolutely. It's 
a great resource. The lie is that you and I, we're on our own in the battle. You're on your own. The truth is that Jesus is fighting for you in the battle. Oh, he's fighting with you too. Jesus is interceding on your behalf when Satan tempts you to despair. He is interceding on your behalf when Satan is accusing you of sins to the Father. Jesus is where? He's at the right hand of the Father right now, right? Making intercession on behalf. Satan says, hey, do you see what that guy looked at? You see what he looked, like, looked at on the internet? Sinner. And Jesus said, hey, Father, that's right, look at me, I paid for it. That doesn't stick. Remember me? Doesn't stick. He's interceding on your behalf when the accuser accuses. The Savior saves. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's beautiful. You should smile. <laughs> Our King fights for faith so we can trust in Him. Amen. The Lord has saved our King. We just keep getting reasons to trust this King, don't we? The Lord has saved our King. Look at verses 6 through 9. It says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with a saving might and with his right hand. Just, this is, this is free. It's not in the nose, but it just, okay, so this is like a liturgy, right? The people speak to the king. The king is now, see, I, it's first person. Now I know, right? What are they doing? They're reminding him. He's speaking in faith. And then the people will speak again at the end of this. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and say with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand up right. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. The people want God to save the king because as it goes with the king, so it goes with the kingdom. So it goes with the people. Right? So they're going to trust the Lord to save their king as he goes into battle. And by the way, to say God saved the king, that doesn't mean like, you know, hide him away, get him out alive or whatever. It means, it means more along the lines of give him victory. Send him victorious, like we talked about at the beginning. Right? Save the king. Make him win the battle. Make him win the day, Lord. They're not going to trust in what other people trust in. And what other people trust in during war when the outcome is uncertain? Their horses, their chariots, right? They say, we will not trust in the numerical superiority of our chariots. We will not trust in the technological superiority of our chariots and our foot soldiers. We will not do that. We're going to trust in the Lord. A brigade of chariots pulled by trained war horses. They were fearsome technology back in the day. That is how you won the battle. They could move quickly, a lot faster than you could on foot. They could travel farther distances. They could just shred through, shred through the line. You couldn't hold the line. Just tear right through it. They could strike fear in the hearts of the most seasoned of warriors. They were made out of iron. That's armor. Armor versus no armor, who wins? Armor, right? It would make the ground under your feet shake as you're watching them. When you're holding your spear and shield, it just 
would shake under your feet as I got closer, and they just pounded the dirt as I got closer to you. To have a chariot would be an advantage. To have a brigade of chariots was to have almost certain victory in your hands. It actually makes a lot of sense to trust chariots, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense to trust in chariots and horses. The people of God declare before battle that they are not going to place their trust in chariots to win the battle. They're going to place the trust in the Lord's anointed, the king. And why? The text tells us. Because chariots and horses fall. They fall. So what about you? Are you in a battle right now? In a battle to believe in the Lord? Battle of faith? The outcome is uncertain maybe for you? What are you trusting in? Maybe your job is uncertain because the market has changed. Skill sets that are needed, those have changed now. Maybe your health is uncertain because those test rules, they came back, they weren't so great this time. Maybe your marriage is uncertain because you set it on autopilot for so many years. What is it for you? Are you trusting in your own wisdom or your own ability to get yourself out of a jam or your own looks or your own resume? What are you trusting in? God's word says all those chariots fall. It's interesting to me. It doesn't say that it might fall. It doesn't say they could fall. It just, it's like a matter of fact almost. They fall. They fall. It's not if, it's when. And if we have put our trust in those things as our chariots, when they fall, they will fall on you. They will fall on me and collapse on us, right? But the Lord gives victory and will rise and stand upright. The phrase rise and stand upright gives this image, if you think about it, as someone they've been knocked, maybe they've been knocked off their chariot, maybe they've been knocked off their horse, or they've just been knocked off their feet. They've been fighting and they're tired and they've taken a blow and they're on the ground and they're getting back up to their feet. They're rising. They should be dead. They're rising. And they stand up. They're not wobbling. They says they're standing upright. That means on both feet, as they ought to be. They have risen, and they are standing victorious. Though we all face many battles in this life, and we will take some blows, we will get knocked off our feet and knocked off our horse and knocked off our plan, we're going to take a blow. We will rise and stand upright if we put our trust in King Jesus. Even though our marriage may die, we will rise. That is our hope. Though our job may die, we will rise. Though we may lose respect in some people's eyes, we will rise. Though we may lose our own life. By the way, we will lose our own life. I think it's about a 100% track record up to this point, right? <laughs> right? Though we may lose our own life and our own body, what? We will rise. But how can we be sure? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because the Lord has given our King, King Jesus, the ultimate victory over the greatest enemy. The ultimate victory over the greatest enemy by rising from death. 
Acts 2, 23, real quick, let's go. Acts 22, or Acts 2, 23 and 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And all who put their trust in Jesus will be raised with him. Because he has risen, we will rise. Because he has risen, we will rise. This is why we put our trust in this king and not another king. We're not waiting for some other king to come. The king has come. We put our trust in him. Look at Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. Do you not know That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The good news of Jesus Christ is that victory over death has been passed on to all who put their trust in him. Our enemies will collapse and fall, but we will rise. And not just rise, but rise and stand upright, firm and solid. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, all the losses that you and I have faced and will face will not be the end of us. Not even the end of our own life. It will not be the end of us. It will not be the final death for us any more than it was the final death for Jesus. Amen? Jesus took the best blow, the strongest blow that death had to deliver. He said, you give me your absolute best shot. You get one punch. That's all you get, but you better give me the best one you got. And he took it. He took it. And he rose on the third day, rolled that stone away, sat down. That's like standing victorious. Like, is that the best you got? When we are in uncertain times, when we face a battle of faith, we can confidently place our trust in King Jesus because everything else falls and collapses. But he has risen. He stands upright. And so will we. So will we. Guys, I want you to put your trust in Jesus today. Whatever your situation is, put your trust in Jesus. God is completely pleased with him. And because of that, he gives anything he asks for. And he has asked for you to not grow weary in doing good. He has asked for your faith to be strong. And you know he will get that because he has risen. He has put his faith in the Lord, right? And God vindicated him. Put your trust in Jesus today. That is our hope. Amen? All right. I love you guys. I want to pray for you.